Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast. Established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher. Addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Once again, I'm your co-host, Dallas Montague. Today is a wonderful day in Sao Paulo, Brazil. We're going to have a great guest with us, Reverend Dr. Ann Hayes Egan, and she's an ordained Presbyterian minister, a researcher, a community building and health systems development consultant, and she has so much more to share. She recently wrote a book called Building Communities of Hope, and just to give you guys an explanation of what that is, it is a practical roadmap for mobilizing people for a positive community change, and so her heart, her mission is focused on building communities up in a godly way. She has a lot of examples of what communities of hope are and other projects she's a part of. She has so much to share today, so I'm looking forward to to you guys hearing about her message and her testimony and all the things she's going to share with us today. Before we get into this podcast, I want to give you guys a quick motivational word, a quick encouragement. This is what I was reading this morning in my devotions. I was reading through John chapter 6, and it's talking about the bread of life. It says, I am the bread of life. I mean, how great. In John chapter 6, verse 31, it says this, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, Sir, give us this bread always. We always want to eat of this bread. We never want to eat again. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And I think that's so great. That's such a wonderful message we can have in a time of crisis, in a time of coronavirus that Anne and I will talk about today during the coronavirus that we need to find hope. And Jesus is our hope. He is the place where we go when we're thirsty, when we're hungry. Another verse I read this morning was talking about how his burden is light, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And that's so important to realize, to understand, and to remember that anytime that we have any weight on us, any heaviness, any worries, anxieties, whatever it is, we need to give it to God. We need to surrender those things to God and he will bring us through. He is the one. He's the supplier. He's the one, the bread of life. It's so good, guys. So I wanted to give you that before we get into the podcast today. If you have not subscribed to Faith and Family Fellowship, I encourage you to do so. We have a lot of awesome podcasts coming soon. Let's get into the podcast, guys. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. Do you need godly advice in business? Irene Jones just released a book titled The 10 Spiritual Little Nuggets on Business That Will Reshape the Way You See Business. This godly inspired book will help you to navigate your way through starting a business or through your existing business. 
Find this book today on Amazon by searching 10 Spiritual Little Nuggets on Business. Buy the Holy Book of Mike Kettle today. God's Word and Second Coming and Rapture. Written by prophet and author Mike Kettle. The wait is over. The gospel of the rapture is now fully available to every thirsty soul and eager mind. This prophetic revelation will not leave you disappointed and is every scholar's dream to read God's word in his second coming. Buy the Holy Book of Mike Kettle today online wherever books are sold for $39.99. And thank you for being here with us today. How are you? I'm great this morning. Thanks. It's such a pleasure to have you today. I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about. But before we do, I just want to give the listeners a little background of who you are. Uh, do you want me to share a little bit about my faith walk? Yeah, you can just share a little bit about your background, who you are, and then also about your testimony as well. That would be great. Okay. Well, um, I guess I have been working in this field for probably close to 45 years now. Um, I turned 70 uh, the end of May, which was an important milestone. I spent a lot of that weekend um, in in meditation and with my, uh, you know, uh, close circle of, of, of friends and family. Um, I feel just very fortunate and blessed to be doing the work that I'm doing. Uh, I do um, just a lot of work with communities. It's community building work and it includes helping to develop an integrated um, senior services network, um, working with creating uh, integrated behavioral health networks, helping communities really build their communities and uh, develop stronger, more integrated uh, mm -hmm. services and helping leaders to really take hold and move forward. So that's my work. I'm also the parish associate at the Las Placitas Presbyterian Church here in Placitas, New Mexico. Okay. New Mexico is where you're located. Okay. New Mexico, yes. And sometimes people get it confused with Mexico. It used to be part of Mexico, <laughs> um, which is why it's called New Mexico. And we have a fascinating culture here because we have uh, a lot of tribal communities. And then we had the conquistadors come in in uh, the 16, late 1500s. And then we have uh, we have sort of a, a, a multi multicultural community, um, which shares some things in common with parts of South America and, and clearly with Mexico. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what kind of got you started on this? What kind of grabbed your interest to get into this field of communities? Actually, it emerged because when I um, graduated from seminary, did you want me to talk a little bit about my own mm -hmm. faith journey? Yeah, yeah, you then, can, yeah okay. feel free to share whatever you like. Okay, well, my earliest memories, probably when I was about four or five, were of seeing Jesus and the Holy Spirit and, and just lots of light, and that probably carried me through the rest of my life. I felt touched and blessed, and I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, and um so some some of our sort of inside jokes that we call the Presbyterians God's frozen chosen, but we're we're just a little bit buttoned up. Um, some of my favorite memories were of Dr. Frank Moore Cross at Inslee Highlands Presbyterian in Birmingham, and he used to lead the kickoff of our vacation Bible school every morning with a children's sermon, and he had just so much love and compassion, and he was such a wonderful storyteller that we just were on the edges of our seats, and he's probably one of my first storytellers that led me into this. And um, his son actually became the professor of Hebrew at Harvard, but he's since wow. retired. And after Dr. Cross, we had Reverend Blair and his wife, who we called Mama Fair. 
And they taught as much by example in their own walk with the Lord as by whatever either one of them said or taught. And they were they were both wonderful teachers. And I joined a communicants class and made my profession of faith when I was probably about 10. And we all got Bibles with our names printed on them. And I remember uh, when I first looked at that, it was like, it was almost like God's hand had gone and haze again. And seeing my name on the Bible was so special, particularly when I was a little one. And I, I kept mine until it fell apart. And I grew in faith as I grew into my teenage years. We moved to Puerto Rico. And I learned how wonderful it is to literally live in red and yellow, black and white. They are precious mm-hmm. in his sight. Uh, because it, it is just such an amazing multiracial, multicultural place with people who are so full of life. And uh, it's really broken my heart to see how much they've struggled with since the hurricane. And a number of us have been doing some fundraising for Puerto Rico. Um, and when I was in college, I was active with the Student Christian Association at Converse College. And that was the time when I think many of us learned to grow up with our values intact, to spread our wings, being led by the Lord, and to integrate the Word of God into our daily lives as soon-to-be grown-ups. We thought we were very, very grown-ups at that time, and you learn later that you're really quite yeah, Not quite, quite yet. <laughs> you're not, yeah, not quite yet. Um, my own, in my own faith journey, my grandmother was instrumental mentors and because she would read the Bible and quotations from unity, and she'd talk about her own faith, and she had lived through the... Spanish flu epidemic and depression. And so she was born in 1882 and died in 1982. And she has been very much in my mind, uh, particularly through COVID. Um, I worked for Red Cross. One of my postings was in Korea. While there, I met Art Stanley and the princes and other Presbyterian missionaries who were there. And we provided uh, counseling. And then I also played in the quartet with Joan Underwood, who was part of the Presbyterian missionary family that started Iwa University in Seoul. So I've been peripatetic a good bit of my life. And when I was an active member at Mount Washington Presbyterian, I lived in Cincinnati and I worked with Red Cross. And I was there during the blizzard of 78, which was a really, really challenging time in Cincinnati. But as a, so the minister there, Al, encouraged me to think about going to seminary. And at first my thoughts were, what? But as he and I talked and prayed, and talked and prayed some more, I felt the call. So I made a change and went to Princeton, which was life-changing for me. After that, I worked at the Valley Forge Presbyterian Church, and I learned as much from the kids and the families as I think I taught them. Uh, I probably learned more from them. And um, it was just a wonderful experience. And then I was called to work with the National Presbyterian Church on the Health Cost Policies Task Force. And gradually I realized that I was really being called to do work in communities uh, in consulting. And in the Presbyterian Church, you ask the Presbytery for permission. You know, every every call that you get is is vetted through the Presbytery. And I asked for permission. And so I've been laboring, um, as they call it, uh, outside the bounds, which means they give you special dispensation to do um, work that is in things like my community building work. And so I began to, to do that with consulting with Union Seminary and the National Presbyterian Church and a, a Christian housing organization in Brooklyn that did amazing work, the Brooklyn Ecumenical Cooperative, I believe it was called. And so now I'm consulting with um, communities and health networks throughout the Southwest. Wow. What feeds my soul are morning prayer and meditation and starting with a gratitude list, readings, and the prayer of Jabez is a real favorite of mine, and I use that every day. It's blessed me indeed 
enlarge my territory, put your hand upon me and guide me and keep me from evil that I might not cause pain. And, um, I, you know, I just think that the, the power of prayer is really uh, amazing. And for me, it's critically important to humble myself before my Lord in the morning and throughout the day, because everything that I am is because of him. And when I pray for God to guide me, there are things that happen that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I know are God's hand moving in my life. Um, I've had major health challenges with a fall that broke my femur and almost killed me in 2016. And so every day I've had since then, I, uh, is it every day on the planet, the gift for which I am incredibly grateful. It sounds like quite a process to get into your calling of where God was pulling you and pushing you toward. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So you're so now you're in this position, you're in this place where you've been working with the communities, building hope through different areas, through different disasters and other things like that. And so I do have to ask, what are the communities of hope? And so if you can just go a little bit deeper into that for our listeners today, that would be great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. What I have found in every community I've worked with for years is that there are people that are the hope builders in our communities. Uh, David, um, who wrote the book about tests of character, David Brooks, is now talking about weavers. And whatever words we we, we use, there are these very special people in communities who are making a positive difference. And so the work that I'm doing in communities is to try to help lift them up, give them support, help pull them together, Mm -hmm. help them see how they can mobilize others. And community building is a complex process on the one hand, but it's very simple on the other, because when we are really what I call living in the slipstream, and that's living in God's slipstream, when we're living in the slipstream, all these incredible things happen. And what I've discovered is with these kinds of community leaders who are really uh, following the Lord's path and who are living in the slipstream, things continue to grow and mobilize, and the collective impact of these different people working together, bringing more people to the table is when we start seeing things like in one community that's been losing population jobs and capital for decades, all of a sudden they've raised more than $4 million to help different community building initiatives. And and, and it's just, you know, all of us are going, oh my goodness. And those who are particularly strong in their faith, they're, they're really clear. This is God, this is God doing this. This is not me. And as people in the community, how do we mobilize these leaders? How do we equip them with what they're doing today? Wonderful question. We equip them, I think, in multiple ways. And for me, the, the touchstone is, is, is living in the slipstream. It's the faith. Uh, and then if you're looking at community leaders that are, let's say, addressing basic needs, people that are hungry, then there are certain sets of skills they need. Uh, you need to have skills to be at certain sets of skills to uh, run a food cupboard or uh, a meal program uh, or, or to create affordable housing. So we need our technical skills. Mm-hmm. And then we also need to have our leadership skills and our collaborative skills. We need to be able to meet people where they are and help them move forward to build their, their skills and their capacity step by step. And so I think there's sort of a cluster of skills or domains. So you could be a wonderful leader, but if you don't have some of the technical skills or if you don't bring around your circle of leaders, people with technical skills, then an initiative can really flounder. You could have all the technical skills in the world, but if you don't have, if you're not living in the slipstream, if, if you're 
not a strong leader, then the technical skills will carry you so far, but it'll be flat. So you're saying you definitely need a team and a, someone to back you on this being a community Absolutely. leader. Absolutely. Yeah. It's you, not you a one-man job. It. Oh, it, it is not. And when you have a team, you also help uh, really lift each other up. Mm-hmm. And nobody, I don't know if I've met anybody yet that has all the skills that, that are needed in, in one soul. Mm-hmm. And that's why it says in the Bible that we're all a part of the body, right? We're all different. Yeah, absolutely. It's perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> Can you give me some some more examples of the communities of hope? I have a few here. A model of recovery on a motorcycle, a beacon of hope in the hurricane. Uh, Do you have any other examples of some things like this? Absolutely. Yeah, there there are so many communities of hope. And uh, Hope in the Hurricane is Mm -hmm. Puerto Rico. And within hours of of this devastation, that there was Hurricane Maria and another hurricane that hit within. Yeah, I think 24, 48 hours of one another. And it was just devastating the island. And the island is part of the United States as a territory, but uh, it has a very strange relationship with the United States because it's a territory and not a state. And so the the federal assistance was limited. What happened was the Presbytery of San Juan um, mobilized churches immediately, and these churches created safe zones. They got water because people uh, didn't have clean water. They managed to get water and distribute it because Puerto Rico is uh, in the in the tropical zone. Um, mosquitoes were a big issue when they got mosquito nets and then ask, and food and delivered food. And there were people that were just cooking up a storm that were making sure that people didn't go hungry. And this was all over the island. And most of my stories came from the San Juan area, which is their population hub. And then after the immediate crisis passed, then the churches were involved in creating some um, places where you could go to to get uh, uh, on the phone or on the internet to check on your families or other people and work on um, just making connections and trying to rebuild. And then the, the um, Fundacion Comunitaria de Puerto Rico, the community foundation, began working with communities all over the island and they have leveraged funding and helped communities rebuild housing stock and reconnect electricity. That's a wonderful community of hope. Uh, the 11-year-old who mobilized the city was Trevor, mm-hmm. who when I was in the, presby- uh, in the Presbytery of Philadelphia, he came to the pre- his parents and others at the Swarthmore Church, came to the Presbytery. And this is an 11-year-old boy who said to his parents, we've got to help the homeless. We'd had a period where the, inst- the mentally ill were deinstitutionalized, and instead of getting into group homes and help, they ended up being on the street. And Trevor would not let go. He was this little 11-year-old who tugged on his parents. He said, we've got to do something. And they did. And then the Swarthmore Church got involved. This is like a stone soup story. And then it came to the Presbytery. And what, 35 or 40 years later, it still exists. They've served over 24,000 homeless. And they have created an entire framework to help the homeless. Which started with an 11-year-old boy Hmm. who heard a calling and followed it. Come on, that's a community leader right there. You don't need to be a certain qualification. You don't need to be a certain age. You just got to do it. You just got to be a leader. That's amazing. Exactly. And what he's done, he's probably 45 now, and he's uh, got a family, and he's still connected. But as this grew, he brought other people into it. They created uh, a gift shop. They've created affordable housing, and they have staff. And so he's now like the emeritus. And he's still connected, um, but every step of the way, they widened the circle of leaders so more and more people could be involved in helping the homeless. 
And so you transformed all of these testimonies and wrote it into a book called Building Communities of Hope. Can you give us a little bit more information about that? Oh, yeah, thank you. There are probably, I don't know, about um, 15 chapters that are stories. Because the um, Energizer Bunny with a cello was somebody who started playing the cello in her 50s, and she helped start the Santa Fe Community Orchestra. Mm. And when she sort of got her leading, she um, helped start this orchestra. She uh, would bring people together to, to play quartets and quintets. And she was a composer when she was almost blind and she was in hospice. And she kept going with the help of somebody who had, who was a composer who had eyes. And when she was 92, she wrote her last piece that we performed. And um, she was this little energizer bunny who kept going. She died a couple of months after that performance. But being in that room when we played her piece and the whole, whole audience stood up and cheered for five minutes, because this is somebody who could have just given up and said, okay, I'm almost blind. I'm on a walker. I'm in hospice, but this is a woman who lived her life to the fullest all the way. So I have all these chapters about these stories, and they're different kinds of community leaders and different people because I wanted whoever picks up the book to say, oh, yeah, that's got a little bit of me in that. Hmm. And then there are chapters that are based on research work that I've done, which are more narrative that talk about what does it mean to have diseases of despair? What does it mean to struggle with not having enough hope? And I talk about that. There's actually data that shows that we're hardwired for compassion. And those of us that are people of faith, that's no surprise. However, to know that that's our set point can really help us. I also uh, added chapters about walking through the valley of the shadow of death Mm -hmm. with hope. And one of my uh, people that I think about so much right now is Representative John Lewis, who died last week, who was a model for hope, even when... Um, African-Americans were were beaten as they walked across the Selma Bridge in 1965. And he lived his life as a man of faith, and he was put to rest at the Ebenezer Baptist Church. And so these are the chapters that focus on on the narrative. How, How can we hold on when it doesn't feel like we've got much strength left. Mm -hmm. And what can we do to really reach deep and and have hope? Because hope is so much deeper than happiness because hope is being grounded in in our faith. It's being grounded in the Lord and knowing that somehow we'll get through this. In all of these chapters that you're talking about here, what do you think is your most favorite, your most cherished chapter that you have? Oh, (laughs) every one of them. Every one of them is so special. I see one here that I want to point out, uh, the walking through the valley of the shadow of death, hope and the coronavirus. I want to talk about that a little bit deeper. Since okay. this is a current event, you know, that we're still experiencing. Um, first off, when did you release this book? Is this? August 1st. August 1st. Okay. So very recently. Wow. So with that, can you give us a little more, how can we find hope during this time? Oh, that's such a great question, Dallas. In that chapter, if I can remember what I wrote in that chapter, um, I'm talking about the fact that this is a huge epidemic. It's life-changing. And normally we have huge changes that shape our lives once every generation. For my mother, it was the Great Depression and World War II. For my grandmother, it was the Spanish flu epidemic of 1918 and uh, the Great Depression. And so this is ours. And for me, the models for this are, I mean, first and foremost, 
you know, we, we, we go into the Bible and we know that our messages are uh, that we we can have we we can hold on to hope no matter what. And that means that it's hope is about the deep eternal verities. It's about trusting in the Lord and knowing that no matter what, I'm going to be carried. And if I think about another example of this, we're looking at Mother Teresa, and we look at people that struggle with very difficult circumstances, and they do not give up. And Rabbi Kushner, who lost his child to this horrible disease, and he wrote, um, you know, uh, the book about dealing with with devastating life events. Uh, It's hard, and we have to go we need to go to the scriptures. We need to go to prayer and meditation. We need to help one another because what carries us through is not the external because we may lose a loved one even after we, we, we pray because it's in God's hands. It's not in ours. And we know that somehow if we take the next step, then that's what we're called to do, to take the next step. And we gain hope by loving and supporting each other. Um, when I looked at a video about people in Rome, I think it was Rome, but it was somewhere in Italy, where they all went outside on their balconies and started singing as yeah. a way to support each other because they were so deep in sorrow and grief and, and fear. And we're not asked to, to somehow overcome fear because sometimes that's very hard, but we can walk through our fear supporting each other and we mm-hmm. do get to the other side. Yeah. Really, really good. And so more of a personal question for you. How have you overcome during this time? Well, I've been incredibly lucky and blessed and fortunate because I haven't had any any illnesses. I have um, hunkered down. I use a mask whenever I go outside. I don't go into stores. Um, I don't eat out. And uh, it is more lonely. There is a lot more time for prayer and meditation. And I'm a parish associate at our church. So I call people, we have Zoom church right now. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same, but it's better than not being able to connect. And I'm working with all these communities on Zoom and on the phone. And so I've probably got 12 hour days that, you know, we, our communities are continuing to, to feed the hungry and they're continuing to reach out to elderly that are at risk by reframing the way they're providing services. Uh, they're reframing the way that they're doing childcare. They're reframing. Uh, we have huge behavioral health needs, mental health needs related to COVID. And so we've got providers all over that are providing services both on the phone as well as meeting with people in need, you know, social distancing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm amazed at what our communities are doing. And you're saying the way that you're adapting now to meet the needs, like how we can't go out and we can't be with the community in physical form, but we can through Zoom and other things. Do you think that will continue even after we open back up and everything is normal life again? You think that will still continue? I do. And we don't know what is going to be like on the other side. What is our new normal, maybe? Yeah. Exactly, Dallas. It is going to be a different landscape. It's a different landscape when we come out because there are going to be huge economic costs to this mm-hmm. COVID. And we already see in New York City, one third of the businesses have closed. They've, 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 they've gone out of business. I'm sure the same is true in Sao Paulo and mm-hmm. in Rome and in so many places. And my sense of things is that if we are taught 
greater compassion if we're taught to focus on what's most important, which is one another, and, and, and building one another up, then we may have more limits on, on resources that are financial resources, but we may have much greater human connection. But we will return to a different landscape, and I think that we will carry with us some of the new blessings that we have from using Zoom. Uh, mm-hmm. I know in the state of New Mexico, we've got communities that have n- not been as connected in statewide meetings because if you if you go from one part of the sub- southwestern part of the state up to Santa Fe, it takes you five hours and you spend two days. Whereas now, mm-hmm. if it's on Zoom, you there, it, it equalized the playing field when you've got geographic distances that keep certain communities out. Wow, that's a good point. Kind of brings everybody together in a different way, like you're saying exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so if you were going to give an overall message for this podcast today and an overall message for your book, what do you think that would be? Oh, okay. The overall message is yes. If it's in one word, the word is yes. Yes, you're made in God's image and you are made for greatness. You have a purpose in your life that can transform you and those around you. Um, Take time to hook into God's purpose for your life. Live in the slipstream. Be turbocharged, be turbocharged to create positive change in your community. Because whatever your gift, whatever your gift, they can be used to great purpose. And I think that's so important now with the impact of COVID, the increasing numbers of unemployed, hungry, and homeless, people can lose hope. There is hope in God's purpose and in what we do on a basis to help each other. Wow. Well, and thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Oh, you are welcome. It's been a privilege to talk with you. I really thank you, Dallas. Yeah. And so this book, I want to give it the opportunity for our listeners. This book is on Amazon. I'll put a link below. You guys can click on that. Do you have another place where they can find you or maybe some of your projects that you're working on? Um, yeah. There's some information about me on Amazon. And then my website, I have two websites. One of them is called um, newventuresconsulting.net. And then I have a website that's really connected to the book that's called Building communities of hope.info. Okay. And, and if I can have you in the podcast with a prayer, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. Let us all pray together wherever we are. Dear Lord, we thank you for our lives. We thank you that you are guiding us. You are carrying us in your slipstream. We ask your support and your blessing so that we are purposed to live and do what we can to help build up the body of Christ. We ask you to guide us and show us the way. Give us compassion for others. Give us the tools we need to do what you want us to do with our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. With your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.